Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good. Just banging out podcasts all week, man. It's been fun. I've been enjoying the groove. Um, this was a really fun one, fun one with Mariano Conte. Yeah, basically, I just realized that anytime Mariano does anything, we want to invite him onto the podcast so we can just chat with him. Super nice guy. Uh, he is a, a huge leader in both Ethereum and MakerDAO. Uh, so it's always valuable to get his perspective. It was overdue since we brought him on. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened. He uh, gave his talk at DevCon Osaka, and then also Multi-Collateral Die was released. And so we kind of go through what Mariano's been up to in around just a, a gamut of the various conversations that he's been taking part of. Uh, the the role and purpose of much cooler die, what it was like to release much cooler die, um, and just the sort of buzz and hype that his talk at DevCon gave. Um, so pretty fun conversation. Again, super nice guy. Everyone loves Mariano. But before we get into the conversation, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Celsius Network. Celsius Network is one of the newest lending platforms out in the crypto space. They let you lend out a super wide range of assets. You can go check them out on their website, celsius.network. You can lend out Ether, Bitcoin, EOS, uh, and even more like esoteric currencies like the Australian dollar stablecoin or uh, more of the known ones like DAI and USDC. Uh, as any DeFi will know, rates in DeFi have come down lately, and so that's where Celsius Network has its strengths. Uh, there's basically always 2 to 4% uh, better interest rates on Celsius Network. So check out their rates at Celsius.network. Sign up using code POV for $10 of Bitcoin. Yeah, and to our second sponsor, a longtime sponsor, and a sponsor of a ton of different content creators in the space, I really am proud of this company, eToro, because they are putting money behind Bitcoin, behind cryptocurrencies, and about spreading the good news about money that is free of government control. This podcast is all about how Mariano uses DAI, Ether, and other cryptocurrencies in order to kind of escape the oppression that his government is putting upon all Argentinians around their money and how their government is controlling their money and he uses crypto in order to escape that. And eToro is fully behind that vision and is making it accessible around the world and in the United States. And this is what we're here to talk about is eToro's new application in the U.S., uh, not only is this company really pushing cryptocurrency adoption, but they're also really trying to push making it as easy as possible to invest in cryptocurrencies the way that you want to invest in cryptocurrencies. So you don't have to be a professional trader. You don't even have to really pay attention to a specific strategy. You can just use one click and you can have essentially any strategy you want, whether that's stacking sats as I prefer to do, or whether that is investing in a diversified portfolio or actively trading with their copy trader feature. eToro kind of lets you control how you invest in cryptocurrencies by Bitcoin. And the best part about all of it is that when you're ready to take custody of your assets, you can on eToro, you can pull it all off. So it's a one-stop shop for everything. Really enjoyed uh, playing around with the platform myself and using their mobile wallet. 
and personally have been buying quite a bit of Bitcoin on there personally as my main source since they started sponsoring the show. So check out b.tc backslash POV. B. Actually, I messed it up. It's b.tc backslash eToro POV. B.tc backslash eToro POV. So that way we get credit for sending you there. Hope you guys enjoy their platform, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview. It was so much fun talking to Mario Nakanti about every just a wide-ranging conversation from uh, the play-by-play migrating um, from side to die and uh, the work that he put into that and going all the way to his opinions around where the next DevCon should be. P.S. It's supposed to be in Buenos Aires. And without further ado, let's just get right into the episode. Mario Nakanti for the fourth time on POV Crypto. Mariano Conti, the King Midas of Ethereum, coming back to POV Crypto for his fourth appearance, but for the third full episode. Mariano, thanks for coming back on. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So, Mariano, uh, a ton has happened uh, the, since we last had you on. Uh, we, we brought you on kind of on a, an emergency quick episode just to talk about uh, the the rapid deflation of the Argentine uh, currency. And then before that, we had you on to talk about just how you live on DAI uh, and how you use DAI basically as your, as your personal finance tool. Uh, but you also work for, for MakerDAO. You have a very key role in MakerDAO. And uh, MakerDAO just uh, finally put out multi-collateral DAI. Uh, and so as a, a very early, one of the earliest uh, team members of uh, MakerDAO, how does it feel to finally get multi-collateral DAI out the door? Um, it was incredible. So um, we released Monday, which was two days ago, but really it started the week before. Um, because you don't just deploy the same day, right? We deployed the week before, I believe it was on a, yeah, Wednesday the 13th. Um, I hit enter, so MCD was deployed from Buenos Aires, from my computer, from this uh, uh, home office that I'm in, was deployed here. Um, started at uh, 1300 hours, and then we had to stop it uh, mid-deployment because somebody was running a bot that was, I don't know if they were reading the blockchain or reading my account, but the moment one of the, we call it the CDP manager, the contract that has the actual numbers for the vaults, when it was deployed, about a minute later, somebody opened the first 30 vaults. Wow, wow, somebody was mining vaults. Exactly. Wait, and so why did you have to stop it though? That sounds like fair play. It was, it was for play, yeah. And we, uh, I talked to Gonza, uh, who's the other Argentinian from Maker that uh, works on a smart contract team. We thought about it and we said, hey, what do we do? Do we keep it going? Do we stop it? And we figured out, so we don't know if uh, this person is going to use it for, uh, if they're going to try to sell them, if they're going to auction them, if they're going to give them away. And we decided to stop the process. Uh, we built a really quick workaround, so a new smart contract that it deployed and it created the first 20 or 30 in the same transactions. It was atomic. And we had to rerun it, so we lost about one ETH 
1.5 ETH and three hours of our time. Uh, but we got the first 50 volts and we're gonna do something with them. And by the way, before, um, let me just say, I had, I had this tweet saying that since we're changing the name from Psi to Die and CDPs to Volts, uh, that I would donate to you guys uh, Movember costs. So if I ever say during this mm -hmm. podcast, if I say die and I mean sigh or vice versa, uh, every time I do, I will donate five die to your cause, uh, David. And I'm I'm two whiskeys in, so it's probably gonna happen. Yeah. So Mariano forever ago put out this tweet where he said, if I if you ever catch me misusing die or sigh or vault or CDP. Uh, then I will donate five, uh, or you, you can uh, receive five die or one die or something like a little bonus just to, just to put uh, some skin in the game for Mariano. But then he just stops tweeting and like goes to work. <laughs> and so I tweeted at him, drink three beers and tweet more, you coward. And so now he's on POV to do this. Yes. That's funny. I've noticed <laughs> that you've been very good about adjusting your terminology. Mm -hmm. um, well, the, the past 48 hours, uh, I, I've had to, and I've noticed everybody making an effort, and that's just the way it goes. So after a week, we're not going to remember it anymore, or at least I hope not. Um, it's going to be easier for people, but it I still be. mess up on occasion. We'll see, we'll see. Wait, um, so I have a question. How do you, yeah. like, why are these name changes so important, and... I guess, how are these decisions made like to change the name from CDP to Vault? So, I don't know how much, how further back I can go, but uh, I, I hope it, I don't mind saying this now. So, uh, Devcon 3 Cancun, uh, Andy Millennials, the former CTO, we were all in a, uh, in a suite in a hotel in Cancun, and he was finishing his presentation where he was going to announce uh, Psy, single collateral die, and we're going to say, okay, and it's December 17th, um, and I don't know if it was that same day or the day before that he did like a once over the presentation and said, somebody said, or maybe it was him, like, no, I don't, we're not going to go up. Uh, DevCon main stage and announce Psy, right? It doesn't make sense. Uh, so it was decided that we were like 25 people back then. We said, no, no, we're launching Die version one. And, but it's going to be, eventually we're going to change it to the real multi-collateral Die. And I think that was it. Maybe I'm misremembering because it was a while ago. But um, if you look at the source code for a single collateral Die, uh, the actual token is called Psi. Um, pooled Ether is called SKR for simple maker, uh, things like that. It's like weird terminology. And I guess we always have in the back of our, uh, our minds that we're going to do the switch. Um, so at least for us, it wasn't that big of a deal. And, and then even then, the, the name, I've been trying to push the, the much cooler die uh, naming, because multi-collateral, like I always say, is just one part, one improvement of the whole system. So far, everything I've seen, even some of the community members begrudgingly, but every project that I've seen has changed the logos, changed the name, and I think it is a small enough community yet. Uh, 
I mean, we all like to say that crypto uh, is changing the world, and it is, but it's still a, a tiny bubble. It's, uh, it's not that hard to do. I mentioned that I've lived through the, the Mexican peso becoming the new peso and the Argentine Austral becoming the peso and the whatever, whatever. It's, we're going to get through it. Fiat doesn't last that long. Hopefully Bitcoin lasts longer. Yeah. We'll so see. for for anyone that hasn't read the blog post, I can't remember who wrote it, but there's a very detailed, uh, well-written blog post about why Dai is named Dai. And it's named after Wei Dai, which makes it uh, really a sibling to Ether because you have Ether, which the smallest denomination is Wei, and then you have Dai. Am I correct in this or am I making this up? think that's fake news. Is that uh, fake news? Oh, no. Yeah. So Rune said that Dai is a Chinese word for give. Mm -hmm. um, we need to double check on our... Yeah, no, that was, in, that was incorporated into the blog post too. Yeah. But the, the, the Dai naming to me is really, really elegant. Uh, I'll find that link and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes so readers can yeah. get a read off of it. So... The morning of multi-collateral die, I set my alarm for 7.45 so I could get up and, and get the transaction ready because I wanted to yeah. be the one to, to, what's it called? Lifting the hat? Um, no, it was casting the spell. Casting Lifting the spell. Lifting the hat okay. was done uh, on Friday. So Friday, mm -hmm. we, uh, we, we pushed the spell to the blockchain, mm -hmm. uh, community voted on it, and they lifted uh, they had to be that spell, the one that would mm. activate multilateral. They lifted it that same day, so mm. it was probably the most voted uh, executive vote ever. Right, right, right. Yeah. I voted, by the way. Um, yes. And then, but yeah, so I unfortunately didn't get to make make the uh, transaction. But you know, I I had my my transaction in the queue. I did not vote as a maker holder. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I barely even have one maker. I don't even think I can vote. Um, you can vote. Well, uh, any any MKR in the in the governance system is useful, and it doesn't mean that you have to vote every time. Since this is a it's a continuous voting system, as soon as you vote once, if you vote, for example, for address zero, that means that you're voting against everything. It's like the MKR that you put on address zero is never going to be uh, a spell. It's never going to be a proper proposal. So you're putting your MKR against whatever, mm -hmm. right? Uh, that's the way I see it. And really that's the way the system works. So can you guys, I, I wasn't really involved in the actual voting process. Can you guys kind of give me the play-by-play -play of how it went? And yeah, just give, give me your two cents. The voting in uh, of multi-collateral die? Yeah. Oh, it mm -hmm. was done probably uh, in a span of maybe two months and weekly uh, polling votes. Um, I wasn't that uh, involved in that because I was like trying to get my team to finalize formal verification and then doing the, the last parts of the, the, the audits, finishing the smart contracts, everything. But um, it involved voting on things like uh, Rich Brown becoming the interim governance facilitator or something. So he would be the one to interact with the community. Um, 
It involved voting for the next version of the oracles, which is an improvement over the oracles that we already have. It involved several, uh, it involved the votes for the actual collateral, um, which some were voted in, some weren't, but then even if something is voted in, we still have uh, a team of uh, engineers that need to vet and uh, control the smart contracts to make sure that what we're putting into the system is not going to cause reentrancy issues or uh, be in any way troubling. And what else? Uh, the risk parameters. Once everything was in, it's like okay. So how much how much die can you borrow from Ether? How much can you borrow from BAT? What's the DSR going to be like? And that's where uh, Cyrus, for example, was working probably 20-hour days. This is just one aspect. It's uh, everything is a is controlled by smart contracts. So if you you don't even need to have MKR to propose something in the voting contract, in the governance contract, you can just send a transaction and say, hey, I want my MetaMask to control everything. So you send a vote saying, hey, this is my address and vote for it. And if you get more NKR voting for that than whatever is the current uh, hat, then that is what controls the system. Um, so that is open. The thing is that, of course, we have UIs and um, we have UIs that work with a certain kind of contract. So if it's not programmed a certain way, then the UI cannot read it and so on and so forth. Quick question. So I'm kind of curious, like, let's say that the Maker Foundation didn't necessarily agree with a collateral type that was voted into multi-collateral die, right? Let's yeah. say the Maker Foundation actually was like, no, we do not want to put that in. We are against it. Yeah. If that was the case, who would develop the smart contract in order to uh, enforce the will of the vote? Um, I think that right now we have, we have people from the community that are savvy enough and understand the contracts enough that they should be able to uh, create contracts that interact properly with the system without the foundation's assistance. Um, I'm thinking deep integrations like InstaDAP, for example. Uh, I mean, I know the, the, uh, the guys at InstaDAP, they, I've talked to them many times and I've answered questions when they had them, but for the most part, um, they read the smart contracts, they understood them, and they built their own stuff on top of it. So it wouldn't be hard for another team to uh, to propose contracts that were uh, independent, let's say, from the foundation. And here's it, another thing. The foundation, it doesn't vote uh, with the multisig, with the MKR. This is, of course, uh, this is not uh, prevented at the smart contract level. This is at the social level. Yep. So, yep. I, so quick question. So like, again, like let's assume that let's assume that the foundation did not agree to support a vote, like the result of a vote and some other developers were to develop, you know, said solution, would it be permissionless to integrate it into the system? Like would the, the MKR holders be able to then, you know, apply that code or like what, the, what does that process look like? Uh, yeah, it is permissionless. So let's say, uh, but I mean, I think we're confusing something because when you say the Maker Foundation would be against, like, I don't know exactly what that would mean. 
uh, really, but. Uh, well, you said that, you know, collateral type got voted in, right? Yeah. And then developers that are on your team that are on mm -hmm. your payroll executed it. Oh, right. Okay. So, so if what if, what if your organization just said, said no? Don't build that? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're getting into hypotheticals, but uh, let's indulge. Um, so let's say you have POB crypto token, right? And mm. you want to get Sound that. Sound money. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get that into multilateral DAI because you think it is liquid enough and it's uh, risk-free mm -hmm. enough and whatever you want. And of course, you have a price view for it. Maybe it comes out of uh, the Uniswap uh, liquidity pool, whatever. But let's say that all that's sorted out. You put a vote uh, to the community. In that case, you wouldn't even put out a vote. You would construct a, a well-crafted smart contract that would create um, an adapter for your token that would be authorized to talk to the central system and it would allow minting of DAI using that as collateral. So there are a couple of moving pieces, but let's say that you find someone who can build it, which you will because the code is open source and it's already been seen by a lot of people. All you have to do is craft this uh, this spell that will create all of this and hook it up into the system. And if you get enough uh, NKR to vote for it and it becomes the hat, so the, the governing spell, and you execute it, then, then that's it. You have a POV crypto token into NCD. So, of course, it's 100% permissionless. Yes. So it works kind of in a similar way to Tezos or Decred, where the actual code is, is added to a layer inside of the blockchain, and then there's a vote uh, by the token holders to say, do we enact that code or do we just not enact that code? And so like the, the foundation could like maybe, maybe even if they are, I don't really think that they're all that opinionated, except for the opinion that multi-collateral die is a good thing. Like after that, it's relatively unopinionated. But if they had an opinion about a collateral type or a stability fee um, and they didn't want to enact it, well, somebody could still build the code and submit it to the MakerDAO protocol and then they could, could call a vote on that. And if the MKR token holders wanted it, then it would go in regardless of the foundation's opinions or not. Gotcha. I, mean, I appreciate the clarification, but I do think no, that it's important, course. right? Because a centralized entity can do whatever they want. They don't necessarily have to respect the blockchain. So I just wanted to get clarification. No, uh, and of course, I mean, I mean, it's not even the only obfuscation, and even I don't think it is, but a lot of the, <laughs> I've seen the community uh, think so, is the way we write our smart contracts. If you, I don't know if you guys, uh, you're not programmers, but if you look at the code, you will not see yet. that we, we use, uh, variable names and function names. They're like three and four letter uh, verbs and, and nouns. And it's it's like a very weird way to program. And a lot of people give a shit about it um, on Twitter. But we got used to it and we like it. And some say we obfuscate the, the code that way, but I think it's a beautiful way to write code. And, and it is all open source. So yeah, you could totally do that. 
I think another way to kind of get at the same criticisms that, that or not necessarily criticisms, but queries that Christian was bringing up is like you, you said that um, we, we voted on putting in Rich as the interim like community person. And then we also voted on blank, blank, blank. Like, well, I mean, Rich is a member of the foundation. So it's, it's, it's kind of like the foundation is guiding the vote in a particular way. So that's like a social layer on top of coordinating governance. And so like may the, the maker foundation doesn't necessarily have to like directly have involvement, but they can still kind of like engineer the vote and say like, okay, we're going to make it really easy for you to vote for rich because rich is a good guy and we all like him regardless of what the community thinks, even though the community wholly agrees that rich is a good guy. Uh, it's still kind of you're still being kind of being corralled, but I feel like that's just kind of the way that these beginnings of of something like MakerDAO has to be, right? Of course, and that is governance at the social uh, layer because everything we vote on, uh, even though we vote on the blockchain, they're not. We differentiate by calling them polling votes and executive votes. When we say executive votes, they're the actual ones that will modify a system or deploy a smart contract. The other ones are just on the on the social layer, not on the smart contract layer. So I'd like to get back into the actual experience of multi of launching multi-collateral DAI. Uh, so it's been two days, two and a half days since. Uh, we're yeah. almost up to 10 million DAI created, pulling out almost 10 million SI out of circulation and moving it to moving it to DAI. Uh, how's, how's the last two and a half days been? Uh, they've been amazing. Monday was... Uh, party day and just like relief day um, uh, you know we had a we had a community call where everybody joined uh, we had the community vote uh, like I said somebody uh, from the community uh, Andrew Redden who's a, a co-founder of Groundhog he was the one who finally uh, cast a spell I believe he used like five more Five Gwen. more Gwen than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I was, if I wanted to spend like two or three more dollars, I might have had it. <laughs> and and the amazing thing is that we can be a hundred percent sure cryptographically that he's the one who cast the spell because the the address we can see which address uh, sent a transaction, and he signed the message saying I activated much cooler die, and his Twitter handle. And that message uh, can only have been signed by whoever owns that private key, right? So uh, that is the beauty of it. And involving the community was amazing. Um, having people join the Zoom call just as we were about to uh, hit, uh, it was 1 p.m. my time, uh, 4 p.m. UTC. I programmed die stats to have like a emoji explosion the moment it happened. I was programming that probably 10 minutes before launch. It was like, just, it, it was really, truly amazing. It was felt like two years of effort plus, because I'm only counting after releasing single collateral die, but I've been in the Maker Foundation for three plus years, but I'm an OG now. I'd like to think so, but the project started like five years ago, four and a half. So, uh, so many people worked on it. Uh, I'm just elated, yeah. And looking at these numbers, it's like, yeah, the system is working. It's, I'm so happy. 
Yeah, so that community call was was pretty interesting. It was like two thirds maker foundation team members and like one third just the community. And uh, it was just a, a full room full of people. Some people were drinking champagne. I was drinking coffee because it was 8.30 in the morning, 9.30 in the morning. Um, super fun environment. And I was telling Mariano before we, we, before we got on, people hung out on that call for hours. I think the, the call finally ended at um, like 10.30 or 11 my time when it started around 8.30. And uh, we, I think at the max, there was like 40 people in there. And then people kind of dwindled out and people said goodbye. Like Rune was in there. Um, uh, who's the, the CEO? Uh, Rune is the CEO. The COO is uh, Stephen Becker. Stephen Becker. Stephen Becker was there. Um, yeah. Like everyone was there. Uh, but then people started to dwindle out. And I was telling Mariano before we started that there was like something like 15, 20 people left at the very end of it. And then Mariano said, all right, guys, I'm heading out. And in my head, I was like, okay, everyone's about to head out right after this because Mariano has turned into such a leader of MakerDAO, not, not, not just the, the foundation, but a, a community member leader as well. And he's definitely held a, a, a keystone position both with uh, his talk at um, DevCon and just being a, a figurehead of the community. So I thought that was a, a pretty good signal as to, to how many people look up to you and, and your role, Mariano. Wow, thank you. So getting into that, let's talk about your talk at uh, DevCon, DevCon 5, which was all about living on die in Argentina. And we've done a whole episode on this, so we don't need to necessarily rehash that. What I do want to yeah. talk about is your talk, like how your, your preparation for the talk, your, the, the aftermath of your talk, kind of give us that full experience of your, your DevCon 5 talk. Uh, so it was incredible. I, the, the repercussion that the talk had, it... Uh, got me into a lot of podcasts, a lot of publications, people from so many countries in Latin America contacting me saying, hey, that is my situation as well. Uh, it was simply incredible. And I tried to give a talk at DEF CON ever since DEF CON 3. My first DEF CON was DEF CON 2 in Shanghai, but I was very new to the uh, ecosystem. So I just went there as a spectator, but I, I tried to give a talk at DEF CON 3 and 4 and I was rejected. And then when I sent DevCon 5, I sent two talks, one about Dye in Argentina, one about Oracles, and they accepted both. <laughs> so I ended up giving uh, the Oracle talk to Nick Kunkel uh, from Maker as well, who's now uh, looking over the Oracles. And the day I, they released the agenda and I saw that I was on main stage, that I think I called my dad. <laughs> but I, <laughs> gonna be a main stage at DevCon. I was so happy. I told my girlfriend, I told everybody. And then came time to prepare. Uh, like I said during my talk, when I submitted it, it was 40% inflation. Uh, when I did the final draft, it was 50%. And when I got up there, it was 55. And what is it like a month and a half later, it's 60 ish. So you can imagine it. I, and it felt really personal. I did a first draft that was uh, a lot like number oriented. It had graphs of uh, the peso versus the dollar, uh, I don't know, charts. And I did a first version just looking, talking to the mirror. And I realized, no, no, like cut all that shit out. It's like, just make it personal. Talk about your experience. Uh, I'm an engineer. I like to discuss technology, but in, in 
this case, I felt that I was given such a big audience and a big opportunity that I said, no, this is what I'm going to do. And it went really, really well. I'm, I'm so happy. I think it's the most seen talk uh, in like wherever it's hosted. Mm -hmm. it, Slide like live. Highest hit count. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, I was really happy to, to see the main main stage talk there because the, you know, the story is exactly why we're all here in crypto. It's ba basically how do you escape centralized money? Uh, and then how do you also use smart contracts and technology to really fuel your life? Uh, and so I was actually really happy to see that there was kind of a parting from the typical DevCon dev talks, which are very typically heavily uh, developer focused and um, you know uh, coding focused and you know technical information and now that this sp uh, space has aged for at least if in the ethereum space has aged by you know four years now now we actually can have stories about how is this technology actually positively impacting me and it's a really good piece of of uh, just internet content to be able to send out there to the world to to show people not just tell people but show people like hey this is doing things uh and so it's also good to hear that people are reaching out to you and telling them telling you that that's also their situation so maybe they maybe die can help them out too yeah and they created subtitles for it um the moment it went live like a couple of days ago uh, a days a couple of days after somebody sent me like, hey, this is a medium post with your talk in Spanish. Like, That's what I want. Yeah. It's really amazing to see all of the like papers and stuff like that get translated into so many languages. Uh, this kind of like open source contributor permissionless ethos is like so strong. And one of the reasons I'm so bullish on this space in general is just seeing how I guess passionate people are, but also how much open source work goes into working on this kind of stuff, right? And I think the difference between paid work and open source work is the fact that open source work, you're donating it out of um, ulterior motives, right? You're not just getting paid. Like none of us, okay, sorry, boss, if you're listening, none of us work that 40 hours like to the minute, right? So, you know, but when we're podcasting or I'm doing POV stuff or you're doing, like your passion project, usually like you're fully ingrained. You're not slacking off while you're hobbying, you know, you're in yeah. it. And that is super, super powerful. And I think, you know, obviously your talk inspired people to, to do that. And it's amazing to see it get translated into Spanish. I'm sure other languages at this point. Um, yeah, I was translating to French as well. Somebody said, Hey, I want to translate into French. Like, do I need permission? And it's like, no, just like go and do it. And, um like back my twitter handle yeah <laughs> i mean pump my twitter followers yeah that's, um uh so jocelyn um she's uh, from maker i believe a community she told me like your talk is going viral in asia like in china japan and like, wow this is crazy viral uh, in crypto communities or just viral in general uh in crypto community <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, but, we haven't we haven't brought broke through that yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's really interesting, kind of talking to the the Asian and even like for me, South American crypto communities because they're kind of completely different communities, mm -hmm. um, but they do kind of still have those links. And honestly, I don't think it's going to take very long for Bitcoin and high quality cryptos to break into the mainstream conversation in a more actionable way, if you get mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. Like, I do think that these cryptos, 
uh, are competing at the margin and they're, and they're winning, right? Like they're not necessarily competing with the dollar. They're competing with pesos or competing with, uh, you know, Argentinian pesos with uh, bolivars, with rubles, with uh, yuan. Like they're competing with worse fiat and You're they're winning right. definitely. You're- and I think it's going to become really obvious and apparent way faster than people think. You're exactly right. We have a different use case uh, to start uh, for crypto here. And here's something new that I uh, haven't happened when I get my talk. So uh, we had another big devaluation, of course, <laughs> a couple of weeks after my talk. And then we had even bigger capital controls. I believe I said that we had the government only let you buy 10,000 USD a month and that uh, they doxed people who bought more than that. Well, in a fell swoop, that number went down from 10,000 a month to 200. Whew. Yes. Oh, yeah. So nobody can, uh, and I'm talking about individuals and there are probably exceptions, but broadly, I cannot go into a bank and exchange more than 200 pesos for or dollars legally. If I do it in cash, it's only a hundred. If I do it via uh, transfer, whatever, it's two hundred. And here's another: if I, Argentina has a, a very big, um, you know, freelancing community. Uh, a lot of us in the tech space speak English. The time zone is just right, you know, between East Coast mm-hmm. West Coast. So a, a lot of Argentinians work for U.S. companies, Canadian companies, whatever. If I get paid in dollars and I have to invoice, I invoice with like a special invoice saying that I get paid abroad. The moment I get paid, I have five days to bring those dollars here and exchange them into pesos at the official rate. So that is by law. And it's essentially telling people who earn in dollars that they have to bring those dollars and Mm -hmm. trade them into pesos. And that is not the case yet with crypto. And I'm working with lawyers here to get opinions written saying that crypto is protected from that law. And I, I didn't expect to become, and, and I'm not really like a, a crypto crusader trying to save every Argentinian from this, but I, I've been dedicating some time to that because I believe it's important. And it benefits me personally, but it benefits a lot of people around me and more and more people who are getting interested in getting paid in cryptocurrencies for saving their hard-earned money in cryptocurrencies. And of course, I recommend DAI to them. I used to recommend SAI before it, uh, <laughs> but now I recommend DAI. Nice correction well, right there. Yeah. No, that wasn't a correction. No, no, he, he got that right. Him. Yeah. I got uh, it right. Yeah. He got it, He got that all right. Just um, clarifying. Talking about talk about being a and just a passion project, right? You can't you can't really not become a crusader when you are in your position. You kind of getting kind of get uh, pigeonholed into that, no matter how you you came to working in crypto or working with Dai. Like when you are this close to the code and you're this close to how it meaningfully impacts your life, it becomes so easy for you to illustrate to people like, well, this has positively impacted my life, and it can positively impact your life too. And, I, and I'm the first to dog food the product. Mm-hmm. I repeat mm-hmm. this, that my salary is 100% die, and it is. Well, mm-hmm. it's going to be next month. Last month, it was yeah. Sai. 
We're getting close to the edge here. I shouldn't, I shouldn't encourage because you're just going to pay on the other end of the, the challenge, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I'm ahead in right now. Okay. Um, but uh, quick question. What do, what do you yeah. think is like the biggest obstacle for the average Argentinian in adopting DAI or other cryptos? Uh, well, I've been getting to know a lot more uh people that are in a situation that they are at least tech savvy enough that they read something and they're interested. Um, so we have different Telegram channels where people are joining Telegram groups every day asking questions. And we get, it, it is different. We cannot pigeonhole a country of 40 million people into like one use case, right? But let me at least catch out a couple. Um, you got the people who want to save and speculate, and you have the people who just want to escape inflation, escape capital controls, and they don't have enough to save. It's like um, they just want to be in control of their own money, but they also live paycheck to paycheck, right? And those are some of the, the use cases that I see. And that's why I'm going to keep recommending. This is not somebody who is, uh, I don't know, stacking sats, right? Or stacking ways, which I'm totally fine with it. it if you can, any crypto, well, almost any, but almost any crypto will give you, at least in my opinion, you'll be a lot freer than uh, saving in your country's fiat or whatever. But a lot of people do not use this to save or to speculate or to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take 5% of my paycheck, 1% and buy this. They, 100% of their paycheck, they need to live. And in that case, I do think that a stable coin is a good solution for them. I'm really on the spectrum that if you're using the crypto, then you're already far ahead of the game. Uh, but there are reasons and reasons. And the reasons that I see a lot of people in Argentina, it's like, uh, I recommend die because they're not gonna be stacking and waiting for the future. They're gonna be paying the rent now. And if they can do it in a, uh, in a token that retains its value instead of something that uh, I've seen people, and, and I'm not saying just Bitcoin, I'm saying here in Argentina, people have Bitcoin, they have Ether, they talk to me about other coins that I don't even know about because there are so many now that I don't even keep count. Because they're shit like, coins. I don't like the term, but <laughs> uh, but let's say that somebody said, yeah, I have this one, and then it went up 20%, and they're so happy. And then somebody said, yeah, I had that one, went down 20%, and now I have to pay my rent, right? It's like, I have to pay it. I cannot wait for it to go back up 25 and sell it. I have to sell it now and I have to go under it. So just saying, and, and this is just talking to like 20 different people. So that's why when we have a, a planet of 7 billion, I think there are different use cases for different people. That's, that's all I'm gonna say. And for the ones that I've interacted with, I'm gonna keep uh, shilling die. And I do this with a clear conscience because I am the first user you 
Yeah, and t- just to be clear, like I am definitely a big Bitcoin proponent, but I'm not anti-stablecoin by any mean. I when I say Bitcoin, it's like investment advice, and if you're not investing, exactly. that's different. Like Bitcoin is a savings technology. I I understand that volatility is bad for people in the short to medium term. I guess what I wanted to get initially with that question is like, what do you think is the biggest barrier to adoption? Like whether it's Dai or other cryptocurrencies, UX wise is pretty similar. Like if you can use Bitcoin, you can usually use Dai and vice versa. Yeah. Um, one thing is just uh, acceptance, but even that I don't count that much because people just, they do one or two trades a month and that is fine. So the future where you just go and buy something with your phone, like uh, with, a, with crypto, even though a stable coin is better for spending because I don't want to spend anything other than die. Um, it, it's mostly education, education, having meetups. Like it, it is actually a lot of like boots in the ground work. It's talking to people every day and like lifting them one by one. It's, uh, that's what I think I can do at a personal level and that effect multiplies maybe at an institutional level that can be like a top down approach or bottom up, but I forget which one is which, but bottom up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's a, a good place to transition into DevCon Buenos Aires and yeah. why that would be a good idea. Can you pitch us why uh, DevCon BA is a good idea? Yes, of course. So first, we already had an ETH Global event in 2018. We had ETH Buenos Aires, which was absolutely amazing. Everybody who came down here had a great time. It was incredibly well organized. It wasn't one of the biggest uh, hackathons around. It was maybe, I want to say, 350, 400 people. But it was incredible. Um, This Argentina is a country that has embraced crypto since 2011, 2012. The community, they know what we're talking about. We have companies here that work, like we have Open Zeppelin, we have Decentraland, we have Winding Tree, we have four or five maker people in Buenos Aires. Uh, I'm gonna forget some. We have Nomic Labs. Uh, shit, I shouldn't have started because I'm forgetting people and they're gonna give me uh, a hard time. And we've already been researching. So at DevCon, we brought like 20 or 30 t-shirts that said DevCon BA 2020. Um, But it wasn't just a meme. We've been, when I say we, it's other people. I'm I'm just memeing. Um, We've been researching uh, venues and we've already told the foundation this, we can do this here, 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 different dates. There's, um, There's already budgets. Uh, it is, we, at least on our side, it is very advanced. It's like, we can say, yes, you can do Buenos Aires. It's going to be spring, beautiful weather. Uh, I love doing, uh, you know, Prague. Prague was probably my favorite, but it was very cold. And just coming to a place where you can talk to people that they're using crypto to survive and not just to speculate or to use as an investment. People who use it for their actual, I was going to say day-to-day, but let's say monthly uh, expenses. 
it is really the perfect place for it. Holding is using men day to day. Don't even give me that BS. I think the EF. You want to hold that shit coin, the peso. You want to hold a good freaking money. I don't. I'm allergic. I yeah. first couple of days of the month, I trade. I trade some into pesos. I pay all my bills. Try to stay as close to zero. I have some money for cigarettes, you know, and that's it. Literally, holding is using. If you tell me otherwise, go fuck yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm not a member of the EF and I also didn't go to uh, DevCon Osaka. So I'm speaking as an outsider here, but I really think the strategy behind where uh, DevCons are placed could be done with a lot more intent. And so going to Japan, which is a well, well financially served country uh, that is also in a time zone that is not pretty much the most, one of the most awkward time zones out there, except for maybe Australia. Shout out to Anthony Cezanne, who I know is, is listening. Um, he was the only one that was happy that, <laughs> I know that, that was there. It was like, oh yeah, this is my time zone. I flew like five hours and I'm here. Uh-huh. Everybody else was like jet lag. Uh-huh. And so like, I think we should, we should be a little bit more purposeful with where we put these dev cons. And so let's put it in a country that a maybe already uses crypto because B, they already need crypto. And let's also bring a bunch of people that have probably a pretty sizable chunk of crypto wealth into a country that probably needs tourism as an, as an industry. And so let's, hey, let's go and put a bunch of people that are, are crypto rich and dump them in a country like Argentina and get them to spend their money in the local economy while we all experience like what it's like to be in a country that could be one of the first crypto countries because we all know that like places like Japan and the United States and like Germany, these are all people that these are all company, uh, countries that are maybe developing crypto, but they don't necessarily need crypto. Did I mention we have the best tank in the world? I've seen, uh, I've yes, seen Christian's pictures. He's a, he's a steak fan. You're gonna get I'm the, gonna, the I'm gonna make that after this actually. And I don't mean to hijack this oh, conversation. You have to come to a DEF CON. That's that's all I'm gonna say. I mean I wanna come I wanna come to Buenos Aires. I don't know about DEF CON. But uh quick I, I do wanna kind of change the topic slightly. Like yeah. what do you guys feel about the EF using resources to plan conferences? Yeah, I I wasn't all that happy during DEF CON five to see competitors taking the main stage. That wasn't so much a problem of having other blockchains present. It was, I think, more of a logistic problem. The, personally, I don't think the venue was that great. The main stage was extremely big, and the other places were extremely small. So uh, some of the most interesting talks happened on the sixth floor, where there wasn't just enough room for the people that wanted to be there. And the main stage was so extremely freaking big. It was the biggest stage I've ever talked in. I took a picture the day before. It was just huge. I don't mind other projects giving us money to have conferences, but I would plan the placing and the timing of their talks a little bit better. But that's me. I'm not too concerned about it. This is a very distributed industry. And so when we could use any excuse that we could get to get all the same people in the same spot for once, uh, I I bet that's pretty beneficial. Um, 
I mean, it's not like, I mean, I don't think it was like an exorbitant amount on their budget in comparison. So I think it's justifiable. Plus we need to generate hype and excitement about this industry uh, in its early days, right? Yeah. All right. Just kind of curious. I mean, it just seems like a really uh, mm-hmm. out there thing, but uh, that's kind of what crypto slightly is though. changes topic as well. <laughs> just, sure well the to get are yawning about the location of the next, <laughs> uh, the next DevCon. Well, no, this is this is important, right? This is how we we grow crypto, and so I was actually going to turn back to the the last part of this this conversation is is Mariano, how do we actually get DevCon Buenos Aires into reality? How do we get that? How what's the roadmap for that? Uh, well, first off, we keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bother everyone we know in the EF. We ask. Italic directly. I don't know if anybody has actually done it. It's like, hey, what would you think about that in Buenos Aires? Um, and then just leave the rest, hopefully, to a lot of people behind the scenes in Buenos Aires that have already done research for venues and uh, budgets and things like that. And then let's just hope that the EF makes the rational decision. But if you want to tweet with a hashtag, it's DevConBA2020. Do it. And I'm going to send you a t-shirt. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to coming and spending my die in, in Buenos Aires. And then I'm going to go backpacking in Patagonia afterwards. Oh, shit. I'll, I'll probably join you. But... Wonderful. So let's turn to the last kind of subject that we want to talk about. Uh, so what's up with you turning everything into Ether? Uh, okay, so I was... I was drafting my slides, and usually whenever I give a talk, I am still fudging with my presentation five minutes before going on stage. But because this was a main stage talk, I had to give the, the PowerPoint, the keynote, whatever, 24 hours in advance and using a special template. So I really had to think about what I was going to submit. And I was just about to give it, and I said, like, this is an Ethereum event. I'm not usually, at least in public, I'm not that big of a maximalist. I, I like my maximalism to be represented in my actions. And I don't think, I think getting paid 100% in die that is the best thing that I can represent. But I said, fuck it, let's have a slide saying what I really do. <laughs> And most of my talk was directed to normal, regular people who are escaping inflation and they want a stable coin back to the USD, which in Argentina, USD is king. That was the bulk of my talk. But then I said, I'm not a regular person. Like, I work at the Baker Foundation. I help build this kind of stuff. I talk to other projects. I'm involved with the community. I, I know the risks. And I accept them, and I believe that we're building towards something great. So I told them what I do. That is that everything I get, most of it, I turn it back into Ether because I believe in what we're building. And I think you coined the term the King Midas, and that was Mm -hmm. extremely funny. But that is really my trading strategy, which is not really a strategy at all. I just go into Dex AG and... I buy mm-hmm. and that's that's the story. 
So what what makes you bullish on ETH? Because I do the same with Bitcoin. Well, just the fact that in the past year and a half, so around ETH Buenos Aires, which was March or May or April 2018, I started getting involved in the community, right? Before that, I was just a developer, maker, working, and had like 100 followers on Twitter, nothing much. But then I gave a talk at Buenos Aires, and I met other people, met other projects working, and I started getting involved. And it's like, I don't have to be in my cave all the time just programming. And I started getting in touch with people, talking to other projects, applying for uh, I want to talk at it Berlin. I want to talk at it New York. I want to talk here, there. I want to tell my story and also talk about the tech. And I got to know so many people that are working on this stuff. And I'm impressed by their tenacity and their intelligence. And I feel almost like I have insider knowledge that the regular people don't. It's like I know what they're working on down to the last commit on any repository because I can see it and everything points to an amazing technology. So that is why I believe it. Which, which yeah. projects make you the most bullish? Um, Maker. Let me see. Outside from Maker, I, I want to say I, I'm really impressed with toy projects because like, out of toys come like really important things. I haven't really played, for example, Gods Unchained, but I have a few legendary chests or packs or whatever they're called. And I've never even downloaded the game, but I think they're going to be worth more. So I'm into that. I, I'm into pull together. I, I saw your your episodes talking um, to I, I forget his name but they were Layton. incredible yeah squared and, and I and I read uh, your post David and that kind of thing impresses me and then it's not just any project it's just personally the fact that I can program in Solidity and I can tap into anything that anybody puts into the blockchain. Just that is such an incredible power that I feel powerful holding Ether because I, I don't just have the, the feel that will power whatever comes next. I know how to program it and make it work for my benefit. So that is mind-blowing. And I feel that that is going to give me an advantage and everybody who is working in this space is going to have an advantage in the future. There, it, even is there anything that scares you? Yeah. The, oh, he's the head of oracles. I'm sure he's scared shitless all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not the head of oracles anymore. I've. I've since oh yeah, that's right. Gave up that mantle. I. I still did the the last version. The smart contracts are still mostly me. Um, there is, of course, the chance of uh, systemic risk, one project uh, collapsing because of anything, be it economic reasons or a bug, things like that. It's, of course, it could eventually be a house of cards, but it doesn't really, I, I sleep soundly now. It's like, yeah, everybody's waiting for the first 
big thing to happen because we already had uh, we had the parity wallet bug, we had the DAO, and now with DeFi, it's going to happen, right? So far, it's been tiny things like maybe in, I don't uh, maybe, maybe it was Nuo, there was an oracle that misreported something and somebody lost money, um, but those were tiny things. People are expecting the big failure, and they're saying, it's going to be maker and if it's maker it takes down everything or it's going to be compound and if it's compound it takes down like maybe half of everything and i don't know um i will say personally i speak uh, i sleep soundly because we have a team of amazing people that have done three audits and formal verification and outside teams like uh, former dap hub members uh, that are advancing the space. Uh, Martin Lundfall, he was one of the leaders that formally verified multilateral DAI. Now he's working with Ethereum Foundation to do a formal verification of, if I'm not mistaken, either the Beacon Chain or one of the either one of the smart contract languages or something like that. It's just the fact that I know these people and that I know that they're working on this stuff, that I sleep fine. Kind of going back to what you said about how you can see all of the development that's going on in Ethereum and how you're paying attention to who's building what. And then on, on top of that, like you see the inner workings of MakerDAO and how those smart contracts work. This has kind of been the thesis around the uh, Ethereum community lately. It's just there's there's such an information asymmetry with what is going on in Ethereum because if you want to keep up with Ethereum, it's a full-time job or a full-time hobby at least. Yes. And so imagine like there's no way that anybody who's not paying attention to Ethereum can actually keep up and, and understand everything that just the magnitude of what's going on here and, and how that is related to ether as an asset. And so uh, I, to, for me, my, my takeaway message every time I talk to Mariano Conti is the guy who's, basically in one of the big driver seats of building out MakerDAO and is paying attention to all the other smart contract systems is really bullish on Ether. He has the most information in my mind. And so if he's bullish on Ether, I'm bullish on Ether. Yeah, it's like, I want to go out into the street and just shout. It's like, aren't you paying attention? Like, don't you see what's going on? It's like, no, a lot of people don't because like you say, it's a full-time job or a full-time hobby. It takes a lot of time to process all this information. Yeah. Christian, you want any last comments? Same for Bitcoin. Okay, I knew it. <laughs> all right, Mariano, thanks again for coming on the podcast. If people want to reach out to you, where should they look for you? Uh, look for me on Twitter. Just search for Mariano Conti and you'll notice the tiny, the Japanese demon next to my name for, uh, it represents Pollock. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, follow me on Twitter. I'm mostly tweeting about multilateral diet these days. I've lost a few followers because I'm really monothematic <laughs> lately. <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Just so happy that it's what I'm, what I'm tweeting about. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, I thought I passed you in, in crypto followers uh, a long time ago, but you are still right behind me. And uh, I'm actually kind of worried about the, you, you passing me again. 
So uh, we'll, we'll see how far that, that plays out into 2020. Oh, and we're the only two. Uh, oh, yeah. Go for it. Club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know how you say it. Like four fires, four X fire. I say four X fire. Club four X fire. Four X fire. Yeah. Ryan Sean Adams. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. He's only given those four X fires twice to mm-hmm. you and me. That's, that's an honor. They mean absolutely nothing, but also good luck getting one. So they mean something. <laughs> <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna create nfts and sell them club forex fire nfts <laughs> or borrow against them <laughs> mm, mm, see how much and how in demand they can get if also if, on the other side <laughs> also mariano thank you for minting pov token we actually never talked about that but mariano is the minter of pov i had the idea for pov token but when i came time to actually minting it i had no idea what to do so i reached out to mariano and and he minted them. Also wrote a very sweet message in the code, which I read. Uh, so if you guys want to find that on, on Etherscan, I'll link that in the show notes. Yeah, I was happy about that. He's like, Someone needs to make a one-click token. Oh, uh, there is already. There should be, but... Come on, David. You can't figure it out? <laughs> got, the ones I found wanted to one. charge me like $25. I'm not going to say which one because we're going to start the next uh, ICO craze. So... Uh, but yeah, uh, David said, hey, mint 69 of these and keep one. I'm like, of course. <laughs> POV token now has a, the last I checked, depending on the Ether price, it had a $1,000 and $1,069 market cap. So hopefully it just stays there. That's amazing. I'm, I'm going to keep mine. It's like one of my cherished possessions. Mm-hmm. We sent Dan Finley one and then he bought two more. <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah, off of Uniswap. <laughs> That's awesome. So, wait, did I mess up Psy Die CDP vault? Not even. No, once. I don't think you did. I'm like five whiskeys in. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> Should we keep going? Brainwashed. <laughs> okay, um, I'm, I'm going to donate Die because we have Die now. I'm going to donate some Die to uh, David's cross. Mm. And Christian asked me if I could donate BTC. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to donate a little bit of WBTC. <laughs> doesn't help my cause. That just but helps David. It, no, it goes to, it goes to Christian. Ah, it's an that's fair. ERC20 representation of BTC on Ethereum, but it goes to Christian. That's fair. We'll take okay. that. Well, I'm making Christian take that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Price exposure to BTC, isn't that what you, you want? Don't, you don't sound happy. <laughs> I'll, I'll take what I can get. This is a beggars, can't be choosers type of situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Maniano, thanks for coming on and thank you for your donations. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, Christian and I are doing Movember. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see our epic mustaches. I still have a beard, but I'm thinking about shaving it. Uh, just no, no, mustache. you will. You will shave it. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll shave it. Uh, and so the way that this works is that all donations in Ether or DAI go to the Ethereum side of POV. All donations in Bitcoin go to the Bitcoin side of POV. Or and, WBTC. Or WBTC. Uh, and whoever uh, has the least total amount of value donated to their side has to match the other side. 
and the difference is paid to either w, uh, BTC pay server if the Bitcoin side wins or to a collection of Gitcoin grants if the Ethereum side wins. And so you're either donating to Movember, which is a good cause, or to some open source Ethereum or Bitcoin project. So you can't really go wrong there. 100%. Please donate. And remember, guys, follow the show at POV Crypto Pod. Five star reviews. Please, my one wish other than for you to donate as much BTC as you possibly can stomach is to give us five star reviews on iTunes. That's all I want. We're almost at 100 freaking shows. So, you know, those five star reviews would signal your appreciation for all the hard work that Daniel, or, Jesus Christ, I just call you Daniel, David and I do. Um, and we would greatly appreciate it. You can also follow me at CK underscore snarks. If you, in your mind, have just decided that you're not going to donate, you can still donate a five-star review. And you can follow me at TrustlessDate, both on Twitter and on Medium. All right. Thanks, Mariana. Bye, guys. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. Some surprise bonus content. After we stopped recording, Mariano brought up how he talked to some uh, of the Maker team members about Realty and they all, he sourced some questions for me about Realty and so this is uh, some post-interview Realty questions for those who are interested. All right, go for it, Mariana. Okay, so uh, today somebody from the Maker Foundation started asking about Realty mm. and I went like, oh, I'm gonna go on POV Crypto tonight. So David Hoffman, like, what do you wanna know? What are your concerns? I'm gonna ask him directly. And I'm just gonna read you a couple of things that people said. Mm -hmm. So the first one, their decision to allow their security token trading on Uniswap was dot, 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 bold. I think it was amazing. That is not a question. That is a statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm in agreement, it was bold and it's worked out well for us. Yeah, I, I particularly love it. And somebody, I'm interested to get some percentage of that Detroit house, smiley face. Um, tokenized real estate has got to become an absolute hit in a world where capital income easily beats wages. And a generation of millennials have the greatest trouble buying an entire house or an apartment. Then somebody said, remember the annual rental yield is high, probably because the market expects a downward trajectory for the value of Detroit real estate, or at least uncertainty around the value. And someone who actually has realty, they have do good documents on their site that recommend you read. It's fun to receive 0 0.03 die every day which I think they meant side because you haven't migrated yet, have you? Nope, uh, we, I migrated while we were in that call. Yeah, so we, we started sending out DAI the day it was launched. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Mm -hmm. And then I do have a couple of questions. Those were like people talking about it. Uh, someone said, frankly, their website is not that great at explaining what tokens are available and what they entitle to. From what I understand, each tokenized property has a separate token. And here's the interesting thing. Is there a token that has exposure for all tokenized properties? Yeah, that's good feedback. That's uh, definitely something that, that we've been working on. People have been requesting to just get the contract code for every single token up. Uh, we run into a gamut of different people with different exposure to Ethereum. And so 
you know, sometimes I have to explain, you know, really esoteric parts about like how we send out rent to, to how like we don't have a token that we want to list on an exchange. Like it doesn't work like that. Um, uh, sorry, what was the question? Is there a token that has exposure for all tokenized properties? Ah, so like a bundle. The whole system, yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, we will absolutely do that uh, when we have all of the properties tokenized. Uh, we aren't releasing them all, all at once because we want people to buy one property and then move on to the next. Uh, and so we were only releasing kind of three at a time. We're about to sell out of this Marlowe property. And so once we want, uh, sell out of Marlowe, we'll move on to the next property. Um, and then once, um, you know, once more of them are out in the open, then we will create a sort of like Detroit token because we'll have like seven income producing properties that are spread around Detroit. Some are single family homes, some ones a 13 unit apartment home, uh, different types of properties. And so it'll be like the Detroit tokens. Like, do you want to buy into De Detroit rent producing properties? Uh, so yeah, that's 100% in the roadmap. That sounds amazing. And the last question was, somebody said, how does one list the property? Are you gonna eventually enable that or are you picking the properties? And are you gonna be moving, uh, and I know that Detroit right now is like the, mm -hmm. the test bed for this, mm -hmm. but do you have like a planned out where are you going to expand? Yeah, so uh, everyone thinks that they would help out Realty if they allowed us to tokenize their property, but everyone thinks that. And then we also have our own properties that we want to tokenize. So yeah. supply of properties to tokenize is definitely not our problem. It's always about demand, demand, demand. Yeah. Uh, and so like, you know, when crypto gets bigger and the community gets bigger uh, and we actually run out of properties to tokenize, then that will, will generate that mechanism. Um, for right now, it's just not like we have our own properties that we want to tokenize and get out there. Uh, and so, um, we'll, we'll definitely open that up for other people. Other people might want to tokenize it for other reasons and just kind of sell it privately. And so we can do it. We can, we can do that for you that way. Um, but for when it comes to selling to the open market, uh, our, our properties that we have, you know, extra exposure to, um, come first. Uh, and, and the reason why, uh, to kind of go back to one of the comments you said, the reason why. Uh, the, the properties in Detroit pay such a high rent versus how much they cost is because part of the rent is subsidized by the government. Uh, and so uh, the, the value of the property, um, it, the, most of them were one of the, the, some of those properties that were going for not very much, like not too long ago when um, the, the auto industry failed out of there. Uh, and yeah. so what Realty did is we came in and we renovated the properties and turned them into a, 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 good place to live and so somebody could actually live there and then as a result we get a, a, a subsidy from the government that that pays out in rent and so that's what we give out to, to token holders and that's why the ratio between the rent and the property costs are so strong um, that and so that's awesome. that's why we started in Detroit because it's low price tags high returns and so yeah. we absolutely are planning on expanding out to other areas it's just a matter of like how like what because when people buy tokenized real estate they don't access the house they access the rent and so um they we need to make sure that when we go and find new properties that we find new properties in, in different cities and jurisdictions that pay out high rents and so that's what we're really looking for so we're being really picky about uh, the particular properties that we list but yes the plan is to totally expand to basically every city imaginable awesome well 
I can't wait to borrow die against uh, a property in Detroit represented by a bunch of realty tokens. I was joking with uh, I was joking with Rich forever ago about like I I can't remember the exact comment, but it was something along the lines of like when you're gonna drop what you're doing and and come work for MakerDAO, and I'm like I'm trying to get real tokens inside of MakerDAO, so I already work for MakerDAO. <laughs> it's great, yeah. That's that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for letting me run another realty ad. <laughs> oh, of course. No, no, that, this actually, it was totally organic. Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, man, it was so good talking. It's like, I have such a great time. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, Mario. This oh. is your, your, your third uh, 4X Fire episode on POV oh, Crypto. That is so good. <laughs> well, um, and I'm going to donate after this, even though I didn't mess up once in being drunk. That's a, a personal mm -hmm. best. Christian, <laughs> well done. Well, well done. so good talking to you as well, man. Always a pleasure. Hey, take care, guys. Hey, Bye. I seriously Bye. want to come to Argentina soon. At any time, man. I'll if you come first Monday of the month, I'll do make you, you a, a crypto Monday. That's a big point.